uh, of these obstacles to spiritual growth. Uh, as far as the eye could see, as the story goes, they could see orange trees loaded with fruit. Uh, they stopped for breakfast and ordered uh, this person ordered orange juice with their eggs. I'm sorry, the waitress said. I can't bring you orange juice. Our machine is broken. At first, I was dumbfounded. We were surrounded by millions of oranges, and I knew that they had oranges in the kitchen. Orange slices garnished our plates. What was the problem? No juice, hardly. We were surrounded by thousands of gallons of juice. The problem was that they had become dependent on a machine to get it. As the, as the story goes, they say Christians are sometimes like that. They may be surrounded by Bibles in their homes, but if something should happen to the Sunday morning preaching service, they would have no nourishment for their souls. The problem is not a lack of spiritual food, but that many Christians haven't grown enough to know how to get it for themselves. In 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, Peter gives us uh, a warning he says in verse 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. One thing that we can know for certain as we, as we look at Scripture is that as we seek to grow spiritually, who's going to be there? Satan. And Satan's going to be there and he's going to use every weapon in his arsenal to cause us to trip up, to pull us away from God. He will not stop. Mark it down. He will come after us. He will use all His weapons to trip us up. He will use all of His obstacles that He has to put in front of us. Anytime we as a congregation or an individual child of God seek to do anything in the name of God, who's going to be there? Satan's going to be there. He's going to be there and he's going to try to distract us and divert us from what our original purpose was. Whether it's a congregation or whether it's individual, you mark it down. Anytime you try to do something for God, Satan's going to be there at some point setting an obstacle in our way to try to distract us from what we're trying to do. Satan knows our weaknesses. And Satan will use them against us as obstacles to distract us. He knows just what to use to tempt us. Just ask Eve, you remember, back in Genesis chapter 3? He tripped her up. He placed obstacles before her and Adam. You think about David. The man after God's own heart. King David, the shepherd boy, elevated to the position of king. You read Psalm chapter 51. And David will reveal he, he had some obstacles. Satan put some obstacles in his way. And what about Paul? You remember how he writes in Romans chapter 7, uh, the things that I, I wish I would do, I do not do, and the things that I don't want to do, those are the very things that I do. Satan's going to be there. He's going to be placing obstacles in every one of our lives. And he did, if he did that to these biblical characters, he will do that to you and I. You see, the reality is, every day, we are in a spiritual war. Every day. I appreciate... Uh, what Steve had to say this morning and uh, to see those pictures and see the reality of what those individuals go through and sometimes, many times, what they give up for the cause of Christ. 
Satan works there and Satan works here. And he's placing obstacles. And we're in this war, this spiritual war, and we need to be aware of that. In fact, Paul wrote it this way in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. For we do not wrestle, we do not battle, we are not in this war against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the powers, and against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's where our war is at. That's the spiritual war that we are in. In this spiritual war that Paul refers to, many times he also refers to it as a race. There's going to be obstacles. There's going to be things that we need to overcome. And many times behind those obstacles, it's Satan. And those obstacles are placed there to prevent us from being all God wants us to be. He wants us to be Christ's like. And so tonight, let us notice two, uh, briefly, two major obstacles that get in the way of our spiritual growth. Believe it or not, the first obstacle is ourselves. Ourselves. We get in our own way too often. We get in our own way of, of spiritual growth. The more we rely on self, the, the reality is the uh, the worse that we do, the weaker that we become, the more ineffective that we are. You remember the information that the Lord shared to Gideon in Judges chapter 2? When, he told, when Gideon was to gather all these soldiers, all, all this army to go against the Midianites? Do you remember what God did in Judges chapter 7? This is what He said to Gideon. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. You see, what he wanted Gideon to realize is you can't rely on yourself because yourself can be an obstacle to spiritual growth. Yourself can be an obstacle to doing what God would love to do through you. And for the children of Israel, imagine those thousands of people, they go in there and they defeat the Midianites. Oh, look what we've done. And God tells Gideon, no, you need to whittle it down. You remember what he did? He whittled the number down to 300 soldiers to go against the thousands of the Midianites. And they were able to overcome them through the help of God. So why is it we tend to rely more on ourselves? Maybe it is we're, we're afraid sometimes to step out and learn, to step out and, and, and be stretched. Uh, I worked with a minister one time who, who talked about being stretched so we can grow. You've got to be stretched so you can grow. Maybe sometimes we're afraid to be stretched and, and uh, we're afraid to uh, move out of our comfort zone. Maybe, maybe it is that we are comfortable in our own situation and we don't want to change. We don't want to do anything different. That can be a hindrance. Maybe we don't want to expend the effort. Well, I, 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 you've, you've heard the phrase. Maybe you've said it before. I hope not. But you know what? I've done my time. I've put in my time. The reality is, as long as we're alive, as long as we're breathing, as long as we have faith in God, we're servants no matter our age. In whatever way we can do that. Or maybe it is because we've been brought up or we've been taught with the mantra, if you are going to ever get ahead and improve in life, we have to push and motivate ourselves to get better. And what does that teach us? It's all about us. It's all on us, right? Well, that's true to a point. 
It's true in business. It's true in school. It's true in sports. But we do always need help from others to get to those points, don't we? But spiritually speaking, the Bible, the Bible teaches us that we are to do our part, yes, but not to solely rely on us. As Steve talked about this morning, as others tell stories about uh, the work when, when they serve God, how, how they do their part and they're willing and they go, but they go in faith also relying on God to do His part. And that's what that's spiritual growth, that's growing spiritually. And so it's not about relying on ourselves. Maybe these reasons are because we're reluctant to turn ourselves completely over to God for His purposes. Someone said, the more of our will we turn over to God, the more effective we become. One of the greatest gifts God gives us is our will. He gives us the ability to choose the course of action that we take in our lives. Now listen to this. He doesn't demand obedience. He invites it. But when we turn over our will, it actually enables us to accomplish great and wonderful things for His service. Why? Because the, the hundreds and thousands of people that are being touched in Africa, those that are being touched in America, those that are being touched in all other parts of the world, it's because God's people do their part and rely on God to do His part. And when we do that, great things happen. So how do we turn over our will to God? One thing is we do like Jesus. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, Emmanuel, God in the flesh. His example that He set for those in the New Testament is also the example that He sets for us. He prayed. He prayed and He spent time in prayer. He spent time in prayer about the things that are happening. We need to pray to discover God's will and then we, when we realize it, we follow it. And then the second thing that we do to overcome uh, or to turn our will over to God is study God's Word. You know, we talk about that, we say that, but in reality it is so very important. God's will for us is primarily found in His Word. But study is more than just reading, isn't it? Study means that we take a focused mental activity on what's being said. We focus on it. We mentally meditate on it, the Bible would say. We seek out God's will and we ask uh, and we seek the things He asks of us and then we apply them to our lives. James would put it this way. He'd talk about do not only be hearers of the Word, but be doers. Uh, that's, a, that's the exact point. You study it, you learn from it, you, you, you look at it. He calls it um, the mirror of God's Word. You look at that mirror of God's Word and see how my life compares to that. If there needs to be changes, I do it. I work on it. It may not be something I can change like that, but I continue looking. I continue comparing. And I continue working. See, that's doing my part. And allow God to do His part through His Word and through prayer. The thing we have to remember is to seek God's will and follow it. Someone has said, as our lives change, 
We are faced by different situations, challenges, and insights. We must learn to look at these through the, uh, through the eyes or through the prism of the principles and commands from God's, as, from God's Word as they relate to them. In other words, as things are happening, as things are changing, as difficulties arise or as we're going through life, we look at those through the eyes of God and His Word. And then we take our situations and we we compare that to what's going on in Scripture. And if there needs to be changes, we change it. Because we want to turn our will over to God. So one of the first obstacles in our spiritual growth is ourself. We need to turn our will over to God's will and not rely on ourselves. And then the second thing that we see are, are obstacles to spiritual growth is having mistaken views of what spiritual growth and maturity are all about. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 12, Paul speaks of how we see through a mirror dimly. However, as we grow to maturity, we will see more clearly. Don't we see that in life? We, we actually talked about that in our Sunday morning class. Uh, about many times those who are older have a whole different perspective on life. Many times they're more patient. Many times they're not wrapped up and caught up in, in the things and the worries that those of us that are younger are. Because they've been through life, they've had some, spirit, some experiences. You see, sometimes at, at some ages we look through the mirror dimly. All we can see is right here, the here and now. But I know as we get older, as I talk to my parents, a lot of times we spend looking back and we can see the things that, whoa, we shouldn't have worried about that. And we see God working as we look back through our life. And as we grow spiritually, we're able to see things more clearly. There are several commonly held, spoken or unspoken, uh, mistaken views that present us from growing spiritually. One of those is that the belief that God exists to meet my needs. Maybe you've seen that in somebody's attitude or to some of the things that they say or how they deal with some of the issues of life. You know, God's there for me. Someone said, a symptom of this might uh, is that the majority of one's prayers are asking God for something rather than praising God for what He's done, who He is, and for how he can, we can serve and glorify Him. As I've already mentioned, the saying that we've heard often, the saying that whenever we go on trips, a similar saying rather, Dustin uses uh, to remind our young people and all of us that it's not about us. It's about God. It's interesting... This evening as I walked in the office, um, on Miss Debbie's desk, there's a, there's a little saying. I, I've seen it there. It's been there, I don't know, months. And I never read it till tonight. And it said, do all things for the glory of God. You see, we have a reminder in our office Though small, it's a reminder and it says, listen, it's not about you. When you walk in this office, it's not about you. It's about God. What a reminder.
Ecclesiastes chapter 12 reminds us we exist to serve Him. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter, Solomon would say. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole of man. Some versions say this is the whole duty of man. This is what it's about. Solomon, the wisest man in all the world. Wisdom that came from God, by the way. Realize that you just go through life, if, if you just uh, logically think about life, he says it's useless. You grow up. You get a job. You work hard. You build all these things up only to die and that's left to someone else. It's vanity. And then his conclusion is this. He says, this is what it's all about. The wisdom that I have from God, I've experienced it. Read the book of Ecclesiastes. He says, I've chased all these things. And here's the conclusion. Isn't that awesome? We get caught up in chasing all these things and Solomon says, I've done it. Anything that you can think of or imagine doing, I've done it. I've chased after it. And this is my conclusion. Thank you, God, for your wisdom. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is man's all. Here's an interesting thing. Although it's not all about us, you know what God did? God made it about us. When He sent His Son, Jesus, into the world to die on the cross and take on my sins, God made it about us. Because He loves us that much. I appreciate what Steve said this morning about giving your life to the Lord. Take the very thing that He's given you, your life, and give it back to Him. Because it's not about me. It's about Him. Another thing is that it is a mistaken view is the belief that we gain God's approval through following a bunch of rules. You see, God provides us with grace. We cannot earn it. He gives it to us. But we do have to accept it. We accept, we accept it in His grace through faith and obedience. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. However, we must be careful not to take this thought to the extreme because God lays down commands and principles that must be followed. Remember what John wrote in 1 John chapter 1 beginning in verse 5. This is the message that we have heard from Him and declare to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. Just in that one verse, He's saying, here's the standard. God's light. There's no darkness in Him. And though He sent Jesus Christ for us, He made it about us, He said, here's the standard. Keep darkness away. And you do that by turning your will over to God. He didn't say you do that by, by, by following necessarily certain rules. There are some things, some, some commands that, that we have to follow. But He did that because He loved us. And we do that in turn because we love Him. Not that we're perfect. That's why we need Jesus. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. 
But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. Another mistaken view is that we must obey God out of a fear of punishment. Now, fear of punishment is not necessarily a bad place to start. To realize, you know what? I would rather spend eternity in heaven than eternity in hell. I don't want to be in hell. That's not a bad place to start, to start but we don't want to stay there. We want to move beyond that. We do not want that to become an obstacle. Our focus should shift from the type of fear that drives us away from the thought of eternal punishment to one of respect and reverence and desire to serve the Master. Think about this. The people in your life that you want to please most, Do they take priority or do, does pleasing them take priority over everyone else? Sure it does. You see, I, I, I've, I've learned one thing, gentlemen, sometimes the hard way. I don't mean this any disrespect from anybody else, but when Miss Greta asks me to do something, guess who's going to get priority? Thank you, Jeffrey. So what about God? You see, when God becomes our greatest desire to please, He's going to be top priority. Pleasing Him is going to become above all others. You see, it's all about the Master, isn't it? It's all about serving the Master. But you know what Satan's going to do? Galatians 5. You see, when you give your life to the Lord and and you submit your will to God through the watery graves of baptism through Jesus Christ, guess who begins mounting his attack? Satan. And guess what he uses? Our self and the flesh. And the flesh and the Spirit are against one another. So it won't be easy. It will not be easy. And that's why we have to remember it's a daily war. It's not just on Sundays. It's a daily war. And every day, we are awake. It's all about the Master. You see, we should even hold His name in deepest respect and reverence. We serve Him because of the love He has for us and the love that we have for Him. And as we grow, we grow in greater love. Grace, mercy, and forgiveness should lead us to faith, obedience, and action. And the last mistaken view is that one, as one grows spiritually mature, we somehow are spiritually superior than others. 
Boy, the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders had some difficulty with that, didn't they? You see, part of becoming like Christ is to obey His teachings, which also include humility. Humbling ourselves before God. You see, nothing in the journey leads us to be superior in anything. Because it's not about us, it's all about Jesus. Someone has said, we can also see spiritual superiority as a belief that one's understanding and application of God's Word is better than others. In reality, none of us can stand before God and claim spiritual superiority. Because it's not about us. It's not about our righteousness. It's about righteousness in Jesus Christ. Feeling spiritually superior, he says, is setting ourselves up as the standard, which is a fatal mistake. Because who's the standard? Jesus Christ. And I cannot compare. That's why I need Jesus. Turn your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. You'll remember this, this parable. Uh, this parable, the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And there's some things in here that's interesting as we think about spiritual superiority. Verse 9, Luke chapter 18. Also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off would not even so much as raise his eyes to heaven but beat on his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his, house, to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You have two individuals. One the Pharisee, one the tax collector. The Pharisee is a religious person. And as he stood on the, on the street corner, out in public... Seemingly speaking out loud, talking about how good he was and how good all the things that he's done. His own righteousness. Remember, what's an obstacle to our spiritual growth? Ourself. The flesh. But the tax collector, the, the Pharisee in many people's eyes, was held up as someone who was spiritually superior. But the tax collector, he was despised. He was looked down on. You don't want to be like a tax collector. But here's the interesting thing. Did you notice what Jesus or what was recorded in verse 9 of the type people that Jesus is speaking this to? Those that trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they despised others. You see, the tax collector recognized his need for God's mercy. And he humbled himself. And Jesus said, this is the one, this is the one who will be accepted. Everyone who exalts himself, 
Think we're better than somebody else spiritually? Think we're superior than in someone else? God says, I'll give you a little bit of humble pie. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Came across this illustration I'd like to share with you. Sometimes when we read the words of those who have been more than conquerors, we feel almost despondent. Uh, this person writes, I feel that I shall never be like that. But they won through step by step and little bits of wills and little bit of denials of self, little inward victories by faithfulness in every little things. They became what they are. No one sees these little hidden steps. They only see the accomplishment. But even so, those small steps were taken. There is no sudden triumph, no spiritual maturity. That is the work of the moment. You see, it takes time. Sometimes we're going to fail. And it's in those times that we return to a submission to God through Jesus Christ. And we say, God, I need you. I can't do this on my own. Whenever I try to rely on myself, Lord, I always fail. So please help. I'm not sure I can pronounce all these names correctly. Lu Chai Kung, who placed second to Van Cleburne in the 1948 Chai competition, was imprisoned a year later during the Cultural Revolution in China. During the entire seven years he was held, he was denied the use of a piano. Soon after his release, however, he was back on tour. Critics wrote in astonishment that his musicianship was better than ever. How did you do this, they said. You had no chance to practice for seven years. And he said this, I did practice every day. I rehearsed every piece I had ever played, note by note, in my mind. Every day. He didn't let some of those physical obstacles keep him from what he enjoyed doing. We may have physical obstacles. You know, we can look, we can look at work, we can look at school. We can look at the, on the sports field in the sports arena and we can say, you know what, I can't do that. And sometimes we take that mentality in our spiritual lives and say, you know what, I can't do that. You know, I can't do what I used to be able to do. Well, here's our challenge for us tonight. Do not let those obstacles, do not let the obstacle of self keep you from serving and keep you from growing. Life changes, doesn't it? Every day. But the Bible says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Forever. Be careful of the obstacles of spiritual growth. They are there. Peter says, be sober. Be vigilant. Be aware. Do not let your guard down because the devil, he's there waiting to trip you up. Tonight, have you had some obstacles in your life that's kept you from, from serving the Lord like you would like to do? 
maybe you want us to pray with you. And we want you to know, we, we stand here not ready to condemn you, but ready to say, you know what? I'm there with you. Let's work together. Let's encourage together. Let's build each other up together. Maybe you're just here and you need to rededicate your life to the Lord. Maybe you're here and you've never given your life to the Lord. You've never turned your will over to Almighty God through faith and obedience to Him through Jesus Christ and, being, and dying and giving yourself, your life back to the Lord. We'd love to assist you in that tonight. We'd love to help you any way we can. We stand here willing, ready, with arms open and our hearts open and ready to lift you up in prayer as together we stand and sing.